Welcome back to the Fit for Golf podcast. In this episode, I am joined by four extremely knowledgeable PGA golf coaches to discuss swing speed. Lee Cox coaches long drive competitors, European tour players, and recreational golfers. He is probably best known as a distance consultant as he has so much experience working with players who are very eager to learn how to hit the ball further. Jack Badow works for the Golf College and is the lead coach for Project Tour School. Needless to say, Jack has a wealth of experience working with teenagers and high-level amateurs trying to take the next step with their games. Stuart Korstorfen specializes in 3D analysis with the Golf Biodynamics System. This is a high-tech swing measuring system which provides extremely intricate detail on how the golfer and club move during the swing. Stuart teaches golfers of all levels. Steve Furlonger is an expert in force plate and ground reaction force analysis. He is one of the only coaches in the UK to have the GASP dual force plate system installed on his lesson tee. He works with a number of European tour players, high level amateurs and recreational golfers. When recording this episode, there was some audio interference for the first three to four minutes while the guests were introducing themselves. Rather than having you sit through this, I deleted that section of the audio and provided the guests' bios. You will be joining the conversation just in time for the first question. Just before we get to the episode, I wanted to remind you, Fit for Golf has its own app loaded with training programs suitable for all levels of golfer. It is the only golf fitness resource you will ever need and is currently being used by six PGA Tour players, two European Tour players and thousands of amateurs all over the world. Check it out on www.fitforgolf.blog and use the code FFGTRIAL to get a one-month trial for just $6. You will not find it in the App Store. You must go to my website. Now to the episode, and I hope you enjoyed this discussion about all things swing speed. So just to give the listeners a little bit of context on how exactly kind of this group got together and what the, I suppose, why we're all here at the same time is that I commented on one of Jack's Instagram posts um, just in regards to something he posted about ground reaction forces and how they aid in a golfer producing swing speed. And kind of anybody who follows my stuff will know that that's an area of particular interest for me in regards to physical training for golfers. But I think how much I can help golfers increase their swing speed solely by increasing physical capabilities is going to be very limited without a really good understanding of how golfers are actually producing force in the golf swing. Hence why I'm trying to get you guys who are much more... uh, experts in that area to help and the question that i posed to jack and thankfully uh steve and lee and stuart all got involved was do large ground reaction forces lead to high club head speeds or do high club head speeds lead to large large ground reaction forces so i'm going to open that to anybody who'd like to have maybe a little bit of a pop off answering that in terms of how they would assess that or think about it from their own, I suppose, coaching philosophy. 
Lee, maybe I'll go with you first, actually, just um, to keep the order the same as the intro. It might help people who are listening. Okay, so so to be, to be vague, I don't have the answer. Um, yeah. A very good question. And if I've been in the long drive business for 20 years, and in my first early stages, um, it was as crude as me uh, getting hold of as many swing images as I could of long drivers. They weren't fitting the pattern of the coaching of the late 90s and of what I saw in most magazines. I saw them moving about. I saw them shifting. I saw them going up and down. So in my first bit of training with long drive, I was able to move those guys after I had a sort of blueprint in my brain. And I started getting them to move a lot. So. I think I created, and this is something I've now measured and verified with Stevie Furlonger, is that I was able to generate very good ground force reactions, probably a little bit without knowing what I was doing, um, in a very crude 2D way of capturing uh, swings. Um, at the same point as that, is that I, I think that I'd be very good at producing or getting someone to produce great ground reaction forces, but I need Steve as well. So why I need him is that I need to measure, I can't measure the amounts, I can't quite see it on 2D, I can't see the timings of it. And very often I will go to him and with a student, and um, uh, Jordan Robbins was a student of ours last year, who didn't have a very powerful player, but just the best hands and arms you've seen, but his ground reactions, and I couldn't put the exact timings on it. So uh, to answer your question, I sort of, sort of a bit of both actually, um, and, but I, I, I need Steve to verify what I'm doing is doing the correct thing. I need to measure it. He, he can measure stuff I still can't quite see. So I didn't really answer your question, but that's my view on it. No, that's that's perfect. I'm sure we'll come back around to some of this with, with later kind of questions and follow-ups. But Jack, is there anything you would add to that or do you have anything different that you'd like to provide? So it's interesting. I think... Yeah, trying to kind of stick specifically to the the uh, the question asked. There was an interesting, um, obviously with Justin Thomas winning recently, there was a, a lot of content being reposted around what Justin does to move the club particularly fast for someone who's quite small and quite um, lightweight. And they compared his, it was actually a, a video that um, Dr. Rob Neal produced using the Golf Biodynamic System. And one of the things that showed was, he had a higher velocity of uh, the speed that his body turned um, was greater than someone like Dustin Johnson, who has high clubhead speed, but is bigger and stronger. And I think that the, the difference in athletes in how they have to create power based on their athletic strengths and capabilities kind of will dictate a little bit of what they have to do. When you look at someone like Rory McIlroy, who's famous for having extremely fast firing hips way above tour average. The similar thing with Justin Thomas was obviously shown. And then you've got the likes of a John Rahm or um, a Tony Finau who move differently. They don't necessarily stretch it quite as long, but they're still able to create speed in a very short amount of time versus someone like a DJ who has a lot longer stretching cycle. So I think it's it's all kind of based around the athlete's capabilities all these guys are world-class so they're able to create speed and force in their own way and then every now and then you see someone like Bryce who has the physical capabilities is also moving them in a way that's extremely fast and then is able to kind of like top out at those really high speeds so 
yeah, I mean, is it the ground force reactions that's creating the speed or is it the speed that's creating the ground force reaction? I think it's a different answer for each individual person based on what they have to use. Yeah, I think that's fantastic in that if a player is going to get to the speeds that are required to play at the level that they desire, just almost by trial and error and having played for long enough, they're going to have figured out a way to use their body in the best way possible to produce those speeds. Is, yeah. is that kind of what you're touching on with the differences yeah, between those different players? I- Hundred percent. I think it's that we've got uh, with my time over with with the college, we've had like various size people, and we've got a few lads from the Netherlands, one six to six, and feel like a, a brick shit house or a, a large guy, strong, <laughs> and he always moves quite poorly. This is the thing; he can move it at 130 miles an hour driver, and he moves relatively poorly in terms yeah. of like how he loads and how he moves. Whereas then you put him next to someone who's relative, who's a lot smaller, and they are having to move much more efficiently just to get to that kind of average speed so like if bob was realizing he was a lot shorter than everyone around him maybe he'd be forcing himself to figure out ways but because he can find the speed quite naturally anyway it ends up like ingraining in that golfer he doesn't have to push himself quite as hard to get that speed so it's yeah you kind of just see each golfer finding what they need to regardless of their size fantastic Stuart. i'm going to go to you next if if you have something to add or your own kind of spin on what we were just talking about there yeah i mean come back to the question about does the does the speed create the ground reaction force ground reaction force create the speed the I'm, I'm, and i'm not a scientist i'm going to try and probably say this in a non-scientific way is that the only force that the ball understands is the force applied to it by the golf club and the elastic properties of the ball, and obviously the the, uh, the forces applied to the ball in the air. That's all the ball understands. So it's hit by a golf club, which can't move on its own. Right. So at the end of the day, you have to do mechanical work to apply the force to the club, to apply the force to the ball. You can't we can't you can't transfer for but we create the energy to apply the force to the golf ball. And that's all the ball understands. The ground reaction force is exactly what it is. It's a reaction force. The force that we apply to the ground, and then it's a reaction force. And Steve will talk about that way more, way, way, way better than I ever, ever can. Yeah. But my understanding is we have to do the work towards the ground and towards the club to hit the, to create the speed to hit the ball, period. So does, does the reaction force create the speed? My my argument as a non-scientist would be no. We have to do that work. The, not, no energy out the ground that's going to jump up and hit the golf ball, but we have to do the work to apply the force to the ground to create the reaction force, and, and a byproduct of that is a good reaction force, which in turn is a, probably one of the best ways we know to increase speed significantly. Yeah, that's, that's excellent. That that's excellent, and what I or why I think that will be very interesting is that like what you're saying is obviously correct in that the golfer is the only, or like the the golfer has to create movement that leads to these ground reaction forces. Yeah. But we, we do know, as you touched on from measuring ground reaction forces, that the types of forces they put into the ground can have a huge effect on club head speed. 
And where I think this will get interesting is when we go on a little bit further in a second and discuss maybe some of like the limitations or benefits if you only have force plates or you only have 3D. What are some of the things that you might be, say, missing in force plates if you can't see what's happening from 3D or vice versa? And why maybe combining both might be the best ultimately, which is something that I'll, I'll pose to you guys. But that's great. Okay, so Steve, you, you might have um, a rebuttal in favor of the force plates against Stuart's. I'm, I'm joking. No, but Steve, obviously a, a 3D, or sorry, a, a ground force reaction expert. What is your kind of um, summary on, on maybe what the guys have just said or are on the question that was posed? I mean, every one of them are absolutely correct. Um, I mean, sort of in reply to Stuart, I'm 100% in agreement. The golfer can push in one of three different directions through their feet. And that's their 3D force effectively. So if they don't push through the ground, then the ground is not going to give that equal and opposite reaction back. Um, so the golfer has to input into the ground. Okay, so... Um, they have to do the work. Now, how are they doing that? Are they moving their mass, their weight around? Are they accelerating their, their weight into the ground really quickly and then pushing back out of the ground really well? Are they taught to do that? Yes, I think that we've seen, we've gone through an era with vertical force. Um, most of the systems that we used up to this point, up until maybe three years ago, were 1D measuring um, plates or mats. So we was, we've been measuring vertical force for 10 years or so. Um, Stuart could probably put a, a number on that. I think he was using a force plate, a 1D force plate system uh, quite some time ago before me. Um, so we was teaching vertical force. So we was getting that mass and we was accelerating it down and pushing it up and we was moving it side to side to change the COP, which is your average location of your vertical forces. So yeah, it's it, it's a bit of both, really. I think everyone's kind of touched on it and has correctly answered. Um, what I see, obviously, is that people that you know, especially with Lee's players that he sends me, they're you know they're fast and they're producing incredible amounts of force through the ground. Um, you know, one that stands out the most is is vertical force. They're getting up to two and a half times their body weight as a force going slamming it down into the ground. And pushing back up out of it whereas the slowest players are struggling to get anywhere even one time one and a half times their body weight so they're multiplying their body weight incredibly well and you don't need to be heavy and this is a you know probably dispels a myth that's went out when bryson come out the block you know big and faster everyone was saying well he's got bigger that's why he's got faster well that's not the case i've seen 62 kilo young boys 12 year old boys swing the club at you know, uh, uh, 109 miles an hour and multiply their body weight, those 62 kilos, two times. So they're getting 120 kilos back out of the, you know, as a force, they're pushing it into the ground. It's about, you know, it seems to be, you know, if they're not taught it, the players that are generating high clubhead speeds and hitting the ball a long way, are learned, they've learned to push into the ground in one of the three very effective ways to get energy back into the system um, to help them move and move very, very, very well and very fast. Thanks, Steve. I think that point about, um, you know, not needing to be necessarily, say, very big and strong to create very high forces ties in nicely with what Jack touched on too, in that 
there's probably all, or well, there will always be a balance between how good somebody's technique is in terms of how well they've learned to move what they have now versus how what their potential might be if they also have the desirable physical traits. For example, like the 12 year old who you mentioned that's able to swing 109 miles per hour. Obviously he's only 12, but the reason why he can't swing faster than 100 miles an hour is that he probably needs to get a little bit stronger and bigger, which I'm sure will happen, you know, over time naturally. And it's probably, you know, almost mm-hmm. a similar case of why the ladies on the LPGA tour who might have extremely good mechanics, they're not going to, you know, likely have the same speed as someone on the men's tour who has similar mechanics because the strength and power levels are different and the forces as a result will be different. Yeah. Okay. So the next question that I'm going to move on to, and I think we'll keep going with the style we had there in terms of going to each of you, it might just make it easier as opposed to going back and forth too much is, um, this is quite broad. Um, but I'm sure that over your time coaching, you've seen some things that are, that are common, or maybe you have some of your own thoughts in thing in terms of things that are very important. And the question is simply, what are some of the most common reasons you see that means players are not swinging at their swing speed potential? I.e., what are often things that you change with players that lead to immediate improvement? And I understand that this is going to be an individual thing based on different players, but I'm sure if you go back from maybe, say, you know, really high-skilled players to lower-skilled players, there's common trends that you might see that the lower skill players don't do that are costing them speed. Lee, is that question easy to understand? Do you have some thoughts there? Uh, yeah, I mean, most of us teach a lot of recreational players, yeah? And that's uh, who's going to be listening too, so I'm uh, cognizant of not going, you know, ultra too in-depth yeah. to some of the technical stuff. And, um, you know, the, the brutal truth is that most of them don't swing it that well. <laughs> and what I mean by that, you know, and Stuart would probably back this up. The sequences aren't good. The patterns of movement aren't good. They don't work the club very well. They don't get any energy or speed out to the end of the club. And they, they just don't swing it well enough. And, and just taking that aside, if you think of everyone thinks of speed and power as, you know, club head speed. But we, we know as coaches, probably ball speed is more important than club head speed. And most of the most of the players, they, they don't get any decent ball speed. And even if they got some decent ball speed, they can't launch or spin it at the right at the right height or the right spin rate. So from from a recreational golfer, generally it's just the fact that they they just don't swing it well enough. Um, and maybe if they were trying to get faster, they they might put should put more effort into ball speed and actually improving the quality of their swing, not not the speed of it. Um, you, the one thing I found along the line is that when I first saw long drivers. Um, obviously having very fast swings, the second set of category of the fastest swings were like sort of tour players. And while you realise they, they swing it so fast, generally they have good body or talent, they just they just move much better. The, the sequences, their patterns are much better than your average player. So for me, generally it would be the, the average player just sounds terrible, just doesn't swing it well enough. Hopefully that's where we can step in and help a little bit. No, I think that makes perfect sense in that most people like obviously i'm i work in as a physical trainer so i'm always trying to you know come at it from a training point of view in terms of upgrading the body 
But I think it's it's you know not hard to see that for most players, if they're you know definitely if they're anything over, I would say you know a a single figure handicap, maybe even over you know roughly like seven or eight, they probably have very basic swing tendencies that are costing them speed, and it's not even a case of them needing to go on any type of speed training program, be it swinging or training. It's just you can just change your swing fundamentally to a way that will lead to much more speed. Oh, there's no doubt about it. If a lot of my business is based on people coming in to see me to hit it further, I think they come in with this idea they're going to be able to a long drive lesson. And then it ends up more of a normal lesson because, you know, they're slicing it, they're glancing blows, they're not hitting good shots. So for most, for most people, uh, they need to improve the quality of their swing. Yeah, no, that's perfect. Jack? Uh, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to kind of disagree with Lee there at all. I think the interesting thing that I've seen over the last couple of years using the speed sticks quite a lot at the college. Obviously, they were really hit for a couple of years now and they've been really popular. One of the things we kind of saw was as an outcome of people trying to move the sticks faster, they actually started to improve their swing because at the end of the day, you're just getting the radar that says a number at the bottom as an outcome. So, I mean, something for your listeners would be try and just swing something faster because if you can make the number go up on the radar on the track man, then you'll teach yourself to be more efficient in your sequence or more efficient in your release or better in how you're turning because in order to see that number go up, you're probably going to start moving your body more efficiently to do it. So that's uh, as a kind of easy thing for people to do. Like I've seen loads of lessons where um, just use the speed sticks for a little while and they end up swinging better because they've made the number move faster. As a simple thing that I would tend to see at the college with the first years when they turn up, it would just be kind of like weak face tendencies. You see people with weak grips or weak faces, weak lead wrists, then they're not going to really be able to move their body that efficiently through the ball. They're going to be having to slow down to try and let the club catch up and not slice it, like Lee said. So, um, yeah, use the speed sticks and just check if you've got your grip or your face strong enough. Yeah, I love the um, the point there about the speed sticks and people, when the ball is taken away, people having a chance to figure out how to move in a way that allows them to go faster. And something that I've I've experienced the same thing as you in regards to when people improve on the speed sticks and even when I've used them myself, I never get a new, say, personal best or I don't increase my speeds on the sticks by just going doing them, say, two or three times a week and trying to swing faster and faster. Anytime I've seen a significant breakthrough in speeds or I've heard the same from a player, it's always... Uh, accompanied with feedback today I tried doing this or today I tried doing that and I think that's actually what happens when you do it often enough is that you start to experiment with different types of movements that might allow you swing faster and I think that's something with the you know any type of speed training that people often forget like we think of the adaptation that might be happening to say the muscles or the nervous system or something like that from the you know frequent practice but usually like that is definitely part of it but usually where the big gains come from is like oh wow like why didn't I always do it this way you know you try something slightly different with the technique and all of a sudden there's a three or a four or five mile an hour jump 
Whereas for the previous six weeks, you might have been stuck at the exact same number and felt like you were going nowhere. So I think that's a really good point for listeners when they're doing their speed training is don't be afraid to experiment with different types of movements and see if it makes a difference. 100%. I think one of the interesting ones we, we've messed around with was kind of like trying to get the maximum speed that the little weight at the end was moving around the radar. And you see some people that don't have the release timing quite right. And it's not really like try like this. It's almost they're experimenting with early or later feeling releases. A little bit like I saw Lee talking about on um, on his Instagram earlier. And actually, you see a speed spike, which would carry over onto the 3D graph when you see like the maximum kind of speed not at impact. So therefore, there's an easy leak of speed because they're not the the thing at the bottom is maximally moving when the ball isn't in front of it. So therefore, yeah. surely you're going to be losing speed that way. Yeah, I know that's that's a fantastic point. Um, Stuart, what would or sorry, excuse me, what are your thoughts on that? Or is there anything you'd like to add? Uh, my, my thoughts. It's an interesting question, really. Um, and I suppose it's the, the. I mean, all four of us, apart from yourself, are all golf coaches, so we are coaching golf, and if big prerequisite of the golf is you've got to make good contact with the ball. As Lee said, there's no point missing it faster. Got to make good contact and then make contact faster. So if I if I go to if I quote a friend of mine from the park, I call Kelvin Giles from Movement Dynamics. He said in his broken, uh, brummy Australian accent, he said you've got to do the physical stuff to do the technical stuff, and the technical stuff to do the tactical stuff in that order. Now does that mean we have to be physically perfect? No, no, but it, it, there's no downside to it. <laughs> okay, so. So then, I sort of uh, the way I look, the way I look at it in terms of for everybody, whether it's a handicap golf or tour player or somebody who wants to bomb it further, is a bit like the strength and conditioning guys would do with an athletic trying to train an athlete. When you look at what do they have to exhibit in time, they have to have flexibility, they have to have stability, they've got to have control, they've got to have dynamic control. Then they build strength and they build power. Now that. That goes the same way when we look at a golf swing then, uh, when I've worked many times with Jack. I used to be nicknamed the pelvic pervert for a reason <laughs> is if if the if the if if the pelvis doesn't function well, if it doesn't exhibit good stability and control, whether that's turning into hips, out of hips, uh stability reduced sway, etc., or shifting at the right point, if that doesn't work well, everything above it generally is flawed. So I tend to look at the golf swing the same way. It doesn't matter who comes. I tend to try and build, I try and obviously, hopefully they come with enough flexibility. If not, we may send them to people to prove that. They've got to exhibit, exhibit good control and dynamic control before I want them to swing it faster. If not, I think it's rather pointless swinging faster. You've got to make good contact with the ball. So we want to swing faster, but we have to have control to do it. So we've got to have good stability and control, come up with enough flexibility to move the club in, at the speed you want, but then you've got to control it to apply the force to the ball. And that's the way I would look at any player. Um, and Steve will no doubt attend to that, and so will Jack, who's worked many times in the past. Um, but I look at it a bit like you training an athlete. You don't start off and saying, I want to train you, and today's a power day, if there isn't an underlying fundamental strength to support that, control to support that, and 
and dynamic control sport that have flexibility to move it in, in enough range. Yeah, so that's you the need way to, I look at it. From, you from, need to have the building blocks in place before yeah, yeah, going for yeah. adding on the horsepower. Just something to, to almost, you know, not um not kind of hit back on that, but something that we hear people talk a lot about Jordan is I've done it myself and I've definitely, you know, suggested that some players um experiment with it is almost say looking at it from the other way that you just did there have you had any experience or do you ever have players try and swing faster than they can currently control to see if when they then dial back down to maybe a speed that's more comfortable for them their strike and control improves does that make yeah. sense yeah uh, there, there are when i when i worked with uh, work work or work with national squads and county squads and, and development squads and youngsters, what we're actually testing is what is their what is what is their 3D output, okay? But then we'll also test it at, at their flat out rate. What breaks down? Usually with the, the youngsters is they don't have enough strength to support the speed. So they and you 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 wouldn't say to them or oh, don't swing fast. If I've got a, a youngster coming for, for lessons, somebody that's 10, 11, 12, I want them to swing as fast as they can. I want to see what they can do. I want them to hit it further. Yeah. And then over time, we'll make them stronger. So, so it's a bit of a flip side, the other way around. But generally, I would be building a foundation to allow for the speed. But for juniors, definitely, I'd be building the speed first. Okay. That may yeah. not make sense, but it does to me. No, no, I think I think that is easy to understand in that you definitely want to make sure that people have the prerequisite, let's say, fundamentals in place before you try and go adding on speed. But there may also be benefits to going as fast as you can to see where you break down, and then you can work backwards and start to develop those to a higher level. Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. Okay. Perfect. Okay, Steve, do you still want, remember what the question is? I know it's been a little while since we got to you. Well, I seem to be following the experts here. So, yeah, I mean, again, I, I can't disagree with what anyone has said. And it's quite difficult to follow up, actually. I think pretty much everything is is, is being put there. I mean, you've absolutely got to hit the sweet spot of the golf club, right? Otherwise, it's uh, the club head speed is not turning into ball speed. So um, that that is uh, important. And whatever the player can do with drills to, you know, to explore the club face and in themselves know where the sweet spot is, because you'd be surprised how many recreational golfers don't even know what the sweet spot is. Um, so, you know, using spray powder and stuff like that on the face, if they don't have, you know, the, um, you know, access to a track man or something that, you know, shows them the strike pattern to get some spray foot powder and spray the club face and then hit some shots. Uh, and see where they hit it. I like to play a game with players. I draw a cross on the face and get them to explore like the quadrants hit each section of the face. And then for them to, in their own mind, to record the feel of a high toe or a low toe or high heel or a low heel. So when they're out on the course, they're at least then they're, they're aware of the strike pattern that's happening and, and the trend that's happening on the course. Um, from a ground reaction force perspective, where I'm coming from, really, I see poor sequencing. Um, Stuart, you know, this follows up with, you know, one of the best 3D guys that I know um, with Stuart and his work. Um, sequencing and Lee, you know, this as well with you, you see poor sequencing. 
Um, and I see that from a force production standpoint. So, you know, they're, they're pushing into the ground at the wrong time. Um, you know, I would be one for, <clears throat> you know, I see golfers moving around a lot and the fastest players move around the most. But what I do say to back that up and to follow that up with is that they move back um, the earliest as well. So, um, you know, if you, we're talking about weight shift here or center of mass of the body, which we now can calculate with force plates on the market, um, is that, you know, the, the, the long drivers, the most, um, the fastest players move off the golf ball, um, but then they change direction and move back the earliest. So if we was to compare that to a rank amateur, somebody that, you know, picks up a golf club and starts to wield it like an ax for the first time when they try and hit the golf ball as hard as they can, um, is that they continue to move their centre of mass all the way to the top of their backswing and then hope to God that they can move it in one go foul swoop back to the golf ball again. That's not happening with long drivers. They're actually moving their centre of mass and before the shaft is even horizontal on the way back, they're pushing back with one point, you know, with more than their body weight in force, pushing back in the opposite direction to stop them from moving anymore. So it's not sometimes the amount it's you know the timings and the sequence of it which is so important and I would say from a recreational golfer when I'm looking at them I'm just trying to change that sequence and get them to shift back earlier uh, not necessarily shift less um, so just change their timings and I know that that will change their sequence and improve their movement I always see a change in sequence of their movement above the ground so very much so a more dynamic motion in terms of their things are changing direction at much different rates in terms of I'm just trying to think of the the kind of uh, you know person who doesn't have a background in say golf swing or golf science doing this is that in the more amateur or slower speed player you'd often see that everything works together say in the backswing and then everything works together in the downswing Whereas in some of the faster players, it's almost that they start to move so dynamically and quickly off the ball that really quickly they're then starting to almost move their body into the downswing. And that's what helps with their sequence and gets this really quick change of direction. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, Lee and, and Stuart will back this one up. But when I see players that swing faster on the way back, I see, I see their, their body reaching, you know, the segments of their body reaching range of motion earlier. So therefore slowing down and changing direction earlier, especially with the pelvis. So, um, you know, I, I, I see things slowing down and changing direction sooner um, versus somebody that doesn't swing as fast. That's often with, wise. With that, Steve, right? So like anybody who follows, you know, let's just say accounts on social media, um, mm -hmm who tries to help golfers pick up speed. Like I imagine that we've probably all posted this at some point that increasing the speed of your backswing can often increase the speed of, you know, your club at impact. But if we just ignore say the fact that it increases swing speed for a second, based on what you're saying there for a player, who's not say necessarily trying to gain tons of speed for the sake of gaining speed, but they're simply trying to improve their golf swing and they're trying to improve their sequence. In your lessons, do you see that increasing, say an amateur, you know, an average amateur's backswing speed often gets them moving their body better because they have to react to the speed of the club in the backswing with better body movements to slow it down and change direction? If I see poor timings um, first from my initial screen and I wouldn't be increasing their swing speed. 
So I'd be working on their timings first. And when they understand that they've got to back or push back in the opposite direction, which is more often than not the problem, um, you know, they're not tr creating enough trail side force to push back um, in the early part of the backswing. If they're not beginning to start that motion, there's no way that I'll be increasing speed. Um, so I'd look at timings first, improve the timings, and then I would be quite happy once they have that concept and understanding of the correct order of and sequence and force timings um, that they can, I could, would be happy for them to start to increase speed because then they, they know when they need to time it. And do you think, um, like, is once, once you've established this, do you find that sometimes increasing the backswing speed can help that? Like in terms of improving the person's shifting and sequencing and timing? Or do you have to go somewhere else first? I see some diff, certainly see some different shifts. And I think Lee would, uh, you know, probably back me up a little bit on this. Um, I, 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 I see very different motion, that's for sure. Um, it's a tough one to answer. I mean, okay. we're trying to put all in, yeah. all in one here. Um, for some, yes. For others, no. Okay. No, that's perfect. Um, the next question that I'm going to move on to is something that I think the listeners will be interested in. And it's a conversation that I've had with some of the players who I try and help that play for a living too. And it's it's something that's always on their mind. So what's interesting about kind of everybody here is that like everybody's interest interested in improving golf performance. Like that's you guys number one job. Whereas, you know, you're also very interested in club head speed almost as just, you know, a passion or something that you find interesting when players, so if you're working with say a high level player, but they're struggling to be at the swing speed that they feel they need to, to be competitive like I'm sure that there's a number of different strategies that you guys can implement to help them increase their speed. What are some of the things that you have found players find it harder to bring into competitive play with increased speed versus things that you found are easier for them to bring into play? And what I mean by this is basically when you're trying to increase a player's speed, what are some things that you've you know historically found players can do on the range, their speed goes up, but they say, man, that's going to take a while to ever be comfortable doing in a tournament versus you give a player a piece of information, their speed goes up and they're kind of thinking that wasn't really that hard to implement at all. I feel like, you know, I could use that much sooner. Does that make sense? Okay. Lee, do you want to try and tackle that one? Yeah. Yeah, cool. Sure. Um, so if someone was coming to me and they wanted to hit it further, so I teach a, a lot of pros. I teach quite a few tour players. Um, the first thing, uh, generally tour players are a bit different because they're, they're, they're generally in a fitness routine or regime. They're generally looking after themselves. So the first thing I would do is I'd, I'd tackle it from the, the, the least invasive way. So uh, I think I have a pretty good way of speed training, not from a gym perspective, from a mixture of super speeds, tour tempo pads, a bit of Mac 3, I think I can put a really good training. And what I'll try and do at the, at the beginning is do nothing to their swing. So what I'll try and do is I'll say, let's have a, a two or three weeks of doing this. Let's see if we can get a bit more speed out of it. Um, I'll make sure they're using a the radar. I'll make sure they're using And I'll actually try and do nothing. So it's quite a good way in because what you'll say to them is that we're going to try and make you go faster, but we're going to do nothing. <laughs> we're yeah. just going to try and make what you have go faster. 
So first of all, that, that can help you can get someone one or two miles an hour faster just by living the life of a long driver, you know, just hitting more balls up in the intent. So that for me is the least invasive way. And that's a bit how it goes for me. So the next bit. So in my brain, I'd have maybe a hundred different ways that I think I can make this person, this man, lady, junior go faster. I'll go with the ones over the years that I think might work the best. But then it has to be something that the person likes trying to do. So I'll offer, once I've seen them for a couple of weeks, I get to know their swing a bit more. I get to know the shot pattern they like to hit. I get to know more about them. Then I'll sort of go with the first suggestion maybe of what I think might be a change for them. I mean, the, the thing with very good players is very often that they don't, they don't like to change things very much. And... If it's a player who's struggling a bit and making the cut this week might mean the difference between paying his mortgage or not, it's very, you know, you're not going to be throwing in a bit of left heel lift and a big long arm path and a, and a big over the top swing. It, it just, he, she, they're just not going to take it out there. So I think, first of all, is I take that person as a player and try and stick with what they've got. Let's see if we can get what you've got. Let's see if that's moving faster. Oh, sorry, let's see if we can get it to move faster. Then I'll offer some suggestions that I think will be the least invasive from experience. And that's that's my big benefit. I've just got more years of experience. I'll offer one or two things that I think, what do you think about this? Do you think you can do it? And, you know, quite often they'll say, I just don't like it. I don't fancy it. Then I'll go on to the next one. But one of the other things at the, the beginning I do make sure I would do is, is have in my brain the things they like. And the other thing that I, I didn't get afraid of, um, when I was young and I was teaching, I say I try and get them to do something. Even in my heart, I knew I was doing the wrong thing 20, 30 years ago. I keep going with it because I thought I was a fool, yeah? So what I learned later on is I'd have to go, I'd put my hands up, oh, five minutes, this, this isn't working. I'll give you a five-minute refund because what we've just done now, I don't like it. I don't think it works. I don't think you like it. So I'd pull back from that. Then I'd go to the next thing I think that you could do that would actually be, and they'll go, yeah, I quite like the feeling of that because, I think in a perfect world, you've got this idea of what you want them to do, but that might be not their perfect idea of what they want to do. So I think you can suggest changes in the least invasive way and then allow them to give you some good feedback. So feedback, negative or positive, go with it, see if it works, get them on the course. Do you think you can take that out there? They might not know that until they get to the tournament, whether they can take it to the tournament. But I think it's something from both sides. You've got to agree on a plan, suggest. If it doesn't work, bin it. Next suggestion, well, we might go with that. And that, that's how I would work normally. Super. Jack, you probably have a slightly different, um, say, typical client to Lee in that so many of your students are, are younger in age or you deal with so many of them. So maybe you have a chance, you know, to implement some things to players that haven't quite ingrained their techniques quite so much as some of the, you know, experienced tour players that Lee works with, do you have any kind of, say, common things that you go to for players who are struggling with speed and they need some more? Um, I think I've, I've made some notes listening to Lee. I know that it's probably, probably answered the question better than anywhere I could. And I've actually, one of my guys, I've, I've had a conversation with Lee and Luke in the past and had that conversation about trying to build speed with Luke already. So. Lee is really the man to listen to and rewind. I think um, the interesting one, I work really closely with Dennis Pugh. He's one of the um, owners of the college. And obviously his work with Francesco during speed was a, 
was a real eye opener a few years ago. He kind of done this with Lee and Francesco together before Bryson has. And the interest, I'll, I'll probably answer the question by quoting um, Dennis a little bit. The work they used to do, they tried to break it. They, they used to try and find Fran's maximum speed until it broke. And then once it broke, they had a process of putting it back into place. So they had like a go-to to kind of like, let's take it out of sixth gear and go back into fifth gear and let's figure out how you hit the middle of the face and hit the fairway again and get your confidence back a little bit. The moment they got there, they then up the ante again and they went right your maximum before was 117 with driver this time let's see if we can get to 119 so that kind of idea of lifting the ceiling to then be able to wind it back to more of a tournament focus uh yeah that, that's what we try and do at the college with people that are, are low on speed you're trying to look at them physically so is it something that they need to improve in the gym at the same time if you've got someone that's smaller or, or... we tend to have 16 17 18 year old um, boys and girls that are very slim and skinny and haven't kind of filled out into their adult frame yet so therefore that would be the direction that you push them or if you saw some people that were in their adult frame or slow you'd then be looking at is it intent or is, is there some kind of ways that we can raise the ceiling and push them a little harder um, but yeah I think the, the way that Lee does it is kind of fascinating and that kind of idea of up in the ante more driver swings at speed and I leaves in the past like the long drive guys do like 300 full speed drives a day don't they so yeah, it's just it, trying it, to it, up that kind of level to like more of a what would be sorry Lee what would be a, a typical volume for of, of balls per day for a long drive competitor when he's in in training um everyone's different uh, Joe Miller's a freak so he could do he could do 400 balls a day and he's as fast after the 50 about, about ball 50s before he can start getting fast but ball 400 he's as fast I don't know how he does it Martin Borgmeyer is a 100 to 175 ball man he does that about three times a week uh, most guys would probably hit one 100 to 200 balls a day or per session per session however much they were training so and, but Joe's able to do a larger quantity. Uh, I think he's just a freak in the, the ability to do that. Okay. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, Stuart, is there anything you'd add to that? I thought um, Jack's kind of comments about Francesco and, and Dennis Pugh building up to the breaking point, seeing where it breaks down and then working back down was nearly similar to what you were talking about earlier. Maybe with your knowledge of 3D analysis, you see certain things um, changing when players' speeds go up? Uh, yeah, yeah. M m m certainly with the, the, the age range that, say, Jack's working with a lot, he's in the, in the less developed golfer um, physically, yeah, there's a, a speed that breaks down. And when you try and swing to the maximum speed, it doesn't ramp up that much, whether that's spaghetti arms or poor stability control, etc. I totally agree 100% with what, what Lee says uh, in terms of if a high-level golfer is coming and he wants more speed, it is a very much a marginal gain thing where we can't lose this golfer in the golf course. You've got to make sure this golfer can pick up a check and make cuts and, and make money through messing with their, with their career. So we've got to be yeah. careful. And they're obviously skilled when they come to us. They're obviously wanting 
a little bit extra. Now, whether that little bit extra is a physical thing, or whether it's a, a technique, whether it's a, whether it's a range of motion, but we, we can go back down the years of uh, of 3D measuring 3D, and I remember doing I remember doing with one of with one of uh, I did some 3D with one of um, Lee's boys with Joe Miller many years ago in 2007. I had to do a thing for Bunker Magazine, and uh, they wanted to test Adam Stacey and Joe Miller, and I had a lot of data from the U.S. long drive guys, and it was it was quite it was quite funky how they create it when you had guys like uh, Jason Zubak, uh, uh, yeah. he was only five foot ten, so he had to move very very differently to guys like uh, Joe Miller, who's a, a big unit, and, uh, and guys like Mike Dobbin. Mike Dobbin was always very very impressive in my view. But that's in the long drive guys. But I'm generally working, generally working with players who are trying to get a little bit, trying to get a lot more. And if we get lots a little bit more, whether that be in improving the stability, the ability to shift pressure earlier in the downswing or quicker, so we can work harder through impact, whether that's improving a timing issue, whether it's a sequencing issue, um, or I would say a pelvic control issue. So these are the ways I would go about it. I would try and get marginal gains with a player, and, and, and I wouldn't push them too hard. I wouldn't be trying to ramp them up. But yes, in testing, we try and find when did they break down. There's no point training at that point. You've got to step back a couple of steps and say, well, you can work at that level. Then we test it again. And gradually, that point, they break down, just nudges away and gets a little bit faster, a little bit faster over time. But I totally agree with what Lee said. There's lots of ways to find small gains that we don't lose the golfer to the golfer. I yeah. think that's really important uh, going forward with the player. We've got to keep a player a player. We, no point smashing it, no point missing it faster, as I keep saying. Yeah, some, no, that, that makes sense. Like something that I've experienced with some of the tour players that I work with here on the PGA Tour is like you can tell from training both in terms of the gym and with any of kind of the key performance indicators that you use that their speed potential has gone up. But I always kind of say to people and, and I say to them and obviously they give me much better feedback because they're the ones hitting the golf shot. But club head speed is as much, I think, a strategy as it is actually improvements in technique and physical capabilities because you can increase your you can increase your speed, you know, three or four or five miles an hour on the range. But then on Thursday morning, you tee it up in a tournament. There's a little bit of a left to right wind. There's, you know, heavy, rough, right. You haven't had a great warm up like those things. You people, I think, tend to revert back to what feels comfortable. And it just it turns into, you know, like this very big, almost puzzle to solve when there's so many things that can go into what actually allows a golfer swing the club fast and what you're talking about there is if a golfer has done all this work to improve their speed but then they start losing it on the golf course it's so hard to actually stick with it and you end up having done you know all this work but it's still hard to access it you need to gain the confidence on the course I think maybe it just made me think of there what players maybe need to do more of is getting comfortable swinging faster on the course and practice not doing it all on the range, actually getting into situations on the course where they're they're picking out targets and dealing with hazards and things like that. Most definitely, and I would I would I would say that the 
the guy here that's going to create the big speed gains. If I work with is Steve. Steve's going to create the big gains. Uh, if I had a player who I was coaching, I would send him to Steve for that. But as a coach, I would try and work with his marginal gains along the way to try and get something they can work with in the course. It might only be one mile an hour, two miles an hour more, and Steve might get eight miles an hour more. But it's a go see Steve, do that work, step back, and then we'll make it playable as much as possible. Okay, perfect. So, Steve, the reason why I first got in touch with you probably about four or five months ago now was I stumbled across your Instagram and kind of daily you had posts going up of essentially before and afters with players that you were working with of different levels, usually high level players. And there was often kind of like four, five, six, seven mile per hour improvements in club head speed in, you know, one, say a one or two hour lesson. Kind of getting back to, I drifted off the point of the question a little bit as I went through the guests there. That's my fault. But in terms of you being able to increase these players' speeds, Steve, is there anything that you've seen that helps players still control the ball? Like, obviously, when speed goes up, misses can get bigger. But have you found that as players' speeds going up, if they're moving in a better way, oftentimes that there's not a decrease in their accuracy or when you're coaching these players who are you know kind of tour level or elite amateur level and by the end of the lesson when you've got their speed up five six seven miles an hour is their dispersion usually worse than it was when they started and it's something they need to then you know regain control of or is it kind of staying the same dispersion as the speed goes up I generally don't see, I mean, by the time we get to the end of the session, we're obviously talking, I mean, one thing, I'm, I'm writing loads of notes here. I'm learning off these guys, uh, these these um, Zoom calls and podcasts that we do, and we're amongst such knowledgeable people uh, that I'm in company with now, you know, I can always be taking notes all day long. Um, I think this the, the whole kind of, you know, the feedback thing that Lee was saying about, you know, you're always talking to the place. So you give them something to to work on, so a specific movement, right? I want you to push this way, um, and and I want you then to do that in that shot. What does that feel like on a level of one to ten? What did that feel like? How much did you push at that point? And then you can measure it, you can quantify it, you can go back and say, okay, that was a seven out of ten or a ten out of ten, um, that amount of force that you applied in that direction. I'm always asking the player for feedback continuously throughout the lesson, as we all do. Um, these guys here coaching um, is it's so, so important. You know, it's is, is that doable? You know what you're doing there. Do you think you could do that on the golf course? OK, can you hit this shot for me now? Can you hit a fade or can you hit a draw for me now? Can you apply that same feeling, that amount of force, that push at that point? Can you do that for those shots? Um, uh, often I'll, you know, begin to finish a session with actually saying, right, I just want you to hit me a gamer shot now, you know, your gamer drive rather than the all out that we've worked up to because we've ramped up your forces and we can see the speed. Can you just hit a normal shot that you would hit on, say we're hitting the first tee shot now, picture it in your mind, there's the trees, there's the rough out of bounds, wherever it is, can you hit that shot? We often see that their gamer speed's gone up because we've been through this phase of overspeed yeah. and they've dealt with this faster um, moving club and producing forces in a smaller time window um, that all of a sudden it becomes a lot easier 
Um, and what fascinated me, one of the first times I went over to Lee, I think when I had the body track for the first time, Coxie, when I went over to your place and we was measuring Joe, um, you know, when the long drivers say, oh, I'm going to chip one down there now, and they, you know, and their speeds, their, their chip swing is, you know, so much faster than my swing. It's that they're so used to swinging it so fast that it kind of makes sense that they're just going to go and chip it around the golf course when they go and play. Well, it seems to be, see, it gets easier, right? It's a bit like, and then I relate that to, I quite like snooker and pull. You know, if I go and play snooker first and get used to these really small pockets and then I go and play a game of pool, I'm really good at pool. Um, but the other way around, if I play pool first and then go and play snooker, it gets harder. So it's a bit like, you know, train fast and really, really fast throughout the session and then rain it, get them back into their game mode and we see some natural gains and they're comfortable leaving because they've gone out with something and you've tested it with certain shot shapes um, that they're going to go out and play with. Um, and you've got the you, you you've seen the gains from that. Then their normal swing has gone up a bit. Um, but it's 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 all about feedback. You've just constantly yeah. got to be picking the the players' brains and getting their their feedback from them and, and and getting them to reply back. What does that feel like? What did it out of ten? You know, I love that five minute refund thing. You know, if something isn't working, I'm not going to be um, you know, I'm not going to be continuing it, uh, you know, more than that amount of time. And I, you know, with players, you do get a lot of pushback with certain things. So you say, oh, I like you. Can you try this takeaway move, this, you know, the position here to, you know, horizontal on the way back, the shaft. Can you move it back a little bit faster? You might get a player now. I can't change my tempo. I've been, you know, like this. I've been working on tempo for 10 years. I can't do that. Then you've just got to go about it another way. You can't carry on with that. The player's giving you, directly a direct answer I'm not doing that and um, so you're going to have to find another way and it's about having a lot of you know exercises and drills um, that you can then pull out of your toolbox and say right I'm going to try this with this player now um, and continue with it if it's working no you know don't push it for any longer than what's needed no that's excellent what's interesting there about what you're talking about in terms of when players get up to this, um, you know, say speed that's faster than they'd feel comfortable using on the course. And then when they dial back down to almost say their gamer speed, it feels a lot easier. I think that's something that a lot of people who have actually tried experience and just a drill that I'd like to bring up mainly for the listeners. I'm sure like you guys have all done something similar or would have even better ones, but, um, something I advised a player to try lately um, who was very happy with his speeds in training and in practice, but not really seeing them on the course was that just in his range session before he went and played, I just told him to try hitting drivers in sets of three balls and labeling them first gear, second gear, third gear. And basically first gear was a pretty, was a pretty easy one, like something that if he wasn't feeling great, he just needed to hit the fairway. Number two was his stock swing. And then number three was trying to absolutely rip one. And kind of what I was telling him was that on each day, he might figure out just based on how he's swinging. Man, today, like I'm hitting my number three, great. And that goes 15 yards further than my number two. I'm going to use that. But on another day, things might be all over the place. And it might be a tough golf course. So he just has to accept hitting his knockdown driver and getting it around the course and trying to almost kind of, you know, use that on a daily basis before he played nearly to calibrate where he was at. I think that kind of ties into what you're talking about a little bit. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think something that Coxie would, you know, uh, you know, the stuff that we do together, Coxie and I work together a lot, um, you know, this swing priming where, you know, we see this Bryson doing this a lot. I think he takes up to seven practice swings at full speed on the tee box. The guys, you know, just really ramping things up, getting the heart rate up, getting the blood pumping, getting everything, getting himself almost psyched up to hit the tee shot um, call it priming you know, having a, a, a free swing primer before they hit their tee shot. So, you know, start off, you know, with their first swing, that casual swing and then faster and then really fast and then step up to the ball and, you know, choose their, choose their line, choose their target, step up and hit it. Yeah, that's superb. I think that's something that is going to become more popular uh, in players we watch on TV because, and the first time I ever heard anybody talking about this, and it was a complete light bulb moment for me, was uh, Podrick Harrington in an interview with uh, Off the Ball Golf Weekly, an, an Irish um, podcast. He was talking about how when he's practicing in a simulator and hitting ball after ball after ball, he's able to get up into like the 130s in club head speed, or he has in the past. But when he's on a golf course and he's hitting a driver once every 20 minutes or every 30 minutes, he never really gets over about 117 or 118 ever. And yeah. he was saying that there's a huge difference between, and he, the way he termed it was just so good. He said, I'm able to get up to very high speeds when I'm hitting balls continuously, but I have an extremely hard time accessing that speed when I'm not hitting balls continuously. And that priming that you're talking about there is almost a way on the course. It's like a miniature way of simulating that you just hit a number of balls into a simulator and getting into that rhythm and then going to hit. And I think Bryson's about the first person we've seen really, really doing that on the course. It's like yeah. he's probably gaining like three, four, five miles an hour with his practice swings than if he just walked up and hit the ball. Yeah, absolutely. You, you, you hear it breathing in, yeah. sucking in the air, going as fast as he can, breathing yeah. it out, almost it's, like a tennis player. It'd be, it, it'd, be, it'd be shouting after he hits the yeah. shots. Yeah. You know, if it's going to get him that exhale, it's going to get him a little bit more. Brilliant. And Coxie, you can probably back this up with the long drivers. That's what they do, don't they? Well, they they, they can suck in a bit of they suck in a bit of air sometimes when they start swinging it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then they scream after they hit the golf ball. I mean, they have to swing it that hard. That's what they do, don't they? And they'll be running down the fairway after it. Yeah, like, <laughs> like was it uh, like he was the other week? Was it Bay Hill around yeah. the corner? Yeah. <laughs> so. I'm very conscious of time here. We've gone an hour and 10 minutes and I know it's getting a little bit late in the UK. I have one more question for each of you. Very quick one. You don't have to spend too much time on this and then we will wrap up. This question is completely selfish from my point of view, but, and it's probably something that you guys are, you know, not as used to prescribing as golf advice, but I'd like to hear your thoughts. Uh, the reason is, is that over the last year or so, I've actually learned much more from golf coaches and golf biomechanists that's helped my physical training programs for golfers than I have any like strength and conditioning research because I've been learning more about the golf swing from guys like you. So my question is, if you have to prescribe one training exercise to a golfer to try and increase their club head speed, what would it be? But the rule is, the tool that they use, it can't be a golf club, it can't be a speed stick, it can't be a golf club type implement. So it can be a medicine ball, it can be a dumbbell, it can just be their body weight, it can be anything like that, but it can't be a swing with a golf club or a golf tool. Okay, Lee? Right, you've, you've done me now. I might, I might need a minute. I had an answer for you. Let me, 
Um, I, I could give you loads of... Come back to me in one minute. Okay. Because um, all my answers were related to golf club stuff. I know I know they were, and that's that's why I, I put the, the rule on it. So, Jack? Be able to deadlift or squat 1.5 to two times your body weight. Very good. Taken from the Nick Buchan uh, playbook, the golf strength coach. Perfect. Absolutely. Yeah. And anybody who follows my stuff will know that's kind of right in line with what I would talk about as well. Uh, Stuart? Uh, in terms of a drill, probably uh, getting like a two, three kilogram medicine ball, quite a small one. And on the golf mat, you're on a golf mat, or against the wall, probably the best bet actually. Going through a golf motion, throwing that ball as hard as you can into the ground, maybe two foot ahead of you. Not not at the ball, but two foot ahead of you. Yeah. Does the ball come back to you off the wall? Does the ball go off at a tangent? Where does it go? So I think that creates a good explosive drill. Yeah. But obviously a timing drill in terms of the least pattern at the right point. So the ball comes straight back at you. So a two, three medicine, kilogram medicine ball throwing it hard into the ground in front of you or just ahead of you on the mat on the yep. target line where does the ball what does the ball do does it come back or, does, or do you throw it off to the right or do you throw it off to the left yeah that's fantastic for the listeners that would almost be a combination or somewhere in between the transition slam drill that I give you and the rotational medicine ball throw off the wall that's a really really good one thanks George I wouldn't, I wouldn't throw it at the wall because I think that creates some more too many postural disadvantages in doing yeah. that. I think that's, that, that would break down um, as a golf swing, as it develops into a golf swing. Yeah, from my kind of experience in that is um, I find that the side, you know, the kind of say side throw directly off the wall, I find that that only works if you limit the motion in the backswing so that the lead arm is about parallel with the ground. Yeah, and then I do. find you can just work on like a body rotation. But when you start to get the, the say, backswing longer with the medicine ball and you try and throw it off the wall, the weighting of the ball, I find, isn't really ideal for kind of timing up the throw, basically. And I think your point of slamming it on the ground is is something that's probably a little bit better for definite. On the, on the ground and ahead of you. So it's on the ground yeah. ahead and back again. So yeah, it's, it just creates a good, a good, it's a very good drill to get a good timing sequence. and good timing yeah as well that's perfect okay steve i have a yeah, feeling I, I have a feeling i'll know what yours might be based on your the fact that that ground force is your is your thing yeah well i mean i i i like the um you know we we've done this this um our phases um you know video didn't we mike so yeah. Uh, and Lee and I have kind of coined, we've elaborated a little bit more with our kind of uh, new program that we're developing currently in work in progress with uh, Force and Flow Golf. Yeah. Um, the phases of the golf swing. So if you take the final phase, the important phase, um, if we were to take from lead arm parallel or horizontal on the way down, there isn't many people with anyone on the planet that can do something at that point between that time that from that position to the golf ball, hitting the golf ball, that they're going to get anything out to the club. Anything they can do is going to respond and, and, and happen in time. So from that horizontal position, uh, we call it kind of phase four, the end phase of the swing, you know, being able to hold that med ball there and kind of turn and throw it 
Um, you know, that move where they really accelerate and there's some extension through the lower body. So they're pushing out of the ground at that point. So they might feel that they're quite heavy and kind yeah. of quite squatted um, when they start that at that horizontal position. And then they kind of feel that from the lower body up, they push up incredibly hard and throw that ball forwards um, for me would be really good. And you could do this with a, like an elastic as well. So you get like a resistance band, yeah. put it into tight onto a, a, you know, a door and close the door or something or a, a door handle. Uh, kind of kind of call that move that pulling a scalibur out of the rock where they're kind yeah. of really sort of pulling up and through, feeling it more through the lower body so they don't lose too much of their, you know, their torso incline or posture relative to the ground. And um, it's really the lower body. They're pushing hard up through their lead side and their lead side of their pelvis. Um, Stuart kind of got me doing something very similar to this because my graph with pelvis elevation is kind of flat. It's like I'm dead right. from that position. I don't push up enough. Um, you right. know, I, that for me was a massive thing and the power that can be created. I'm very good at producing vertical force, but I'm very late with my peak. So I don't push up early enough. So I, I see that a lot. It's very, very common pattern that golfers are very good at getting down, but they're not very good at getting back up again. And that move, that pelvis pushing up is so critical and so yeah. important for speed and power production. Um, and also with strike, with being able to control the depth of the low point, the clubs travel through that ball, um, you know, where it's going to strike on a vertical line on the club face. So critical. So that's, that's, that's my drill. Excellent. So we have Jack <clears throat> with a bringing your squatter deadlift to 1.5 or two times body weight. <clears throat> Excuse me. We have Stuart's medicine ball throw drill and Lee, or, I'm sorry, and Steve's medicine ball or uh, elastic pulley drill. I think the main two differences between them is that Stuart's, and I know I'm going to get questions about this because I put so many med ball exercises in my programs. I think Stuart's is a little bit more, say, sequence based. And there's going to be a little bit more work from the upper upper body because you're throwing the ball down. So your arms are going to be used a little bit more. Whereas I think even though Steve's is a medicine ball throw, it's really a lower body exercise. It's that extension through the ground with the lead leg. Okay, Lee, we're back to you. Okay, so I've had a bit of time. So I, I can only talk from things that what I do. Um, certainly one of the things I would do is go with Jack. You've got to be strong. I think that helps massively, which is where you fit into it, yeah? Um, if it was me on a teaching bay, I have a medicine ball. We know that the ability to apply force on the grip on the way down is a huge determinant of speed. So uh, you can either throw the ball down from the top to your side, which can use your lats to swing it down. But because Stuart used a medicine ball, one other thing I do, and this is for your average golfer who comes into my bay, is very often they make a swing that's just arms and they don't use their body at all. And if I just stood up for a second here, I have a bungee coming out the wall at my place. I wrap it around the shoulders and I'll get them to turn and also wrap it around the hips. Yeah. I think the idea of holding your shoulders and turning makes your upper unit so stuck in one place. People who come in don't even know that their shoulders aren't even attached to each other. They can move them up and down, backwards and forwards. And if I wrap a bungee around them and get them to turn into it, it frees up their upper body. It gets their shoulders moving and... The reason I say that is a lot of recreational golfers tend to make mainly arm swings and don't use their body that much. Yeah. Otherwise, I would have used. Otherwise, I would have used one of Stuart's med ball drills. Yeah, that's perfect. And just for the listeners, what Lee is describing there is very similar to the 3D strap 
stuff that you've probably seen in some of my videos or on the app. And I can post, um, or if you want to post, Lee, that would be actually superb when golf opens back up. If you want to post that, or if, if all of you want to do that, that would be fantastic. I have your one, Steve, and Jack, the squat and deadlift is pretty self-explanatory. But Stuart, if you were willing to do a video of your med ball throw that you were talking about, and Lee, if you could do a video of your bungee cord and I post them on Twitter and stuff like that, it would be fantastic. Of course. Fellas, thank you very much for your time. I don't want to keep you any longer, but I really enjoyed that, that chat. I think there was some excellent info. I hope the listeners enjoyed it, and I'm really looking forward to going back over it again and uh, taking some notes. So thanks a lot, guys, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, James. Thanks, gentlemen.